This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What's up, guys? Welcome to this podcast. My name is Solomon Elite at Solomon Elite NBA on Twitter. You're joined by one of the best play-by-play broadcasters on League Pass, Craig Ackerman of AT&T Sports. Craig, how you doing, man? I'm doing well. Yourself? I'm doing all right. So everybody wants to rush and talk about Houston's offseason, and we'll get there. But I just want to rewind real quick and talk about how just how crazy their season was. Because by this point, everybody knows that they start off 11-14. and 14, But I feel like there were several points along the way that just seemed insurmountable for Houston. At what point did you feel like, oh man, I'm not sure if they can come back from this? Like, was there a point like that for you? Um, it was a very strange um, uh, season. I'm trying to think back as it seemed. It feels like three lifetimes ago right. uh, when they started off at, at, at 11 um, and, and, and 14. I can't honestly remember specific games, but obviously I think, you know, you just go back to opening night um, when they were blown out uh, by New Orleans. Um, it just felt like something wasn't, uh, wasn't right. Um, but it's a very long season. Um, I have full confidence in the front office and the players and, and the coaches. Um, I, I, I just always thought that the talent level uh, was there to get things headed uh, in the right direction, but I think when um, you know the Rockets suffered multiple injuries there, um, you know just basically on the, on the tail end of that eleven and fourteen, I think I, that's when I really started to get worried that you know um, maybe uh, they don't have enough to get this headed in the right direction, and then of course at that point James Harden just kind of took over for the next couple of months and put up ridiculous historic level. Uh, numbers and brought the team back uh, from from the abyss. Um, but yeah, again, it feels like so long ago at that point. So much has happened uh, since then. Obviously, they did a lot to restructure their roster over the course uh, of the season. Um, but I really thought that at that juncture, that you know maybe they just don't have enough to get this ship headed in the right direction. But then James just just went off and. They basically went from 14th to the you know, near the top of the standings uh, in the West, put themselves in, in a viable position to to play for one of those uh, top two or three seeds. Ultimately, they didn't get there with that loss uh, late in Oklahoma City and the craziness that that ensued on that particular night. Uh, but it, it was a very interesting season, to say the very least. Yeah. So the last time I saw you, it was before Game Six, and I remember I was gonna I was going around asking everyone who they thought was going to win that game. And almost everyone I asked, including yourself, felt like the Rockets should have won that game. Uh, they were healthy. They were on their home floor. The Royals didn't have Kevin Durant. Last year, you could always say, well, if Chris Paul didn't go down, Houston would have won that series. And, and it would have been perfectly reasonable for you to feel that way. This year, 
they didn't have something like that to fall back on. Was this loss to the Warriors more or less deflating than last year's, in your opinion? Uh, I think every season-ending loss is deflating, at least it is um, to me uh, personally. I think there are, and I, this is a little bit cliche, but I think they were both, uh, okay, let's just go back two years ago. We'll start there. Even after Chris Paul went down, the Rockets were up in that series, had double-digit leads in both games. Uh, I thought that the Rockets, uh, that was an opportunity lost. They very, they were in position to win one or both of those games in game six or seven on their home floor to advance uh, to the NBA Finals. And so, to me, that was extremely deflating because even without Chris, they put themselves early on in both of those games, put themselves in position to win uh, each game. Ultimately did not. The weird, again, strange circumstances uh, with the over 27 in, in Game 7 from 3. I mean, if the Rockets took those exact same shots all over again, they're not going to miss 27 straight. It was just really weird and fluky. Uh, it does seem like that when the Rockets do get eliminated, and that's been that case for the last decade, that when they go out, they go out. Uh, there's always something um, that uh, that hurts uh, when their when their season comes to an end. Uh, this year, sim- uh, similar in that it was a missed opportunity. Uh, you know, I, look, uh, I do think that that Golden State ultimately, uh, even without Durant, um, if you looked at their roster, had more talent from top to bottom than the Rockets did. And 95% of the time in the NBA, the team with the best talent, especially the team with the, with more of the high end talent, wins. And they certainly still had more of that than the Rockets did under the circumstances. So um, I think you can understand them continuing to, to, to play well and ultimately get past the Rockets and the Blazers and obviously what happened with all their injuries in the, in the, in the NBA Finals to so the Raptors, uh, ultimately losing that. But it was a missed opportunity. It was on their home floor. I think that, that that is what really hurt is that they had a chance to push that to a Game 7 again back in Oakland. Anything and everything can happen in a Game 7, as we saw again two years ago uh, in Houston. And so I thought they were both equally um, deflating. I think with recency bias, this one really, uh, really hurt um, because of the fluky nature of the 0 for 27 the year before. This one really felt like, and who knows how things would have turned out in Game 7, but this really felt like it was a chance for the team to get back to a Game 7 and to try to sort of erase the bad memories from a year ago. But as as they as the Warriors kept things close in Game 6, um, you just felt like you were opening the door for them uh, to walk through it and win the game, and ultimately they did. Um, you know, They trapped Curry, and they consistently kept beating the Rockets on those high traps. Um, Draymond Green was terrific there. Curry hits, Curry just went crazy down the stretch after being an absolute no-show in the first half. And so, um, to, again, to me, every time a season ends, uh, it's deflating. Each time it seems like it's for a little bit of a, a different reason. But as we still sit here today, a month after the Rockets got eliminated, I still feel like the Rockets, uh, at the very least, uh, missed a really, really good chance, a golden opportunity to push that to game seven but you know they didn't do it and here we are and we're getting ready for another offseason yeah i'll never get over andre Iguodala going five for eight from three-point range uh af- after pretty much missing every single three-pointer uh the games before and the games afterwards shots of the playoffs in his career i mean yeah um yeah and, and it seems like every time that the warriors needed a big three late in games not just in game six but that whole series every time they play the warriors draymond green always steps in and hits a big shot. I mean, um, you know, the, the Rockets have been unable to 
solve the, the Warriors puzzle and and as that's been the case for most teams in the league and uh, and they will you know they'll continue to, to try to do it moving forward, although things have really changed now with the injuries to Thompson and Durant. Yeah. Um, and listen, we don't make light of injuries on this podcast, but the facts are the facts. I've been someone who's argued for continuity, and I'm curious to hear your thoughts on this. As of the time this reward recording, it's been 12 hours since the Toronto Raptors uh, won the NBA championship, and we received word that Clay Thompson has torn his ACL and will likely miss action for at least the next nine months. It's also been 56 hours since we received word that Kevin Durant received surgery for his ruptured Achilles injury. Um, ACL and Achilles injuries are two of the worst injuries in basketball. So first I want to say I hope those guys have full and meaningful recoveries. But as of right now, even if the Warriors manage to re-sign both of them, we know for a fact that both Kevin Durant and Klay Thompson will miss the majority of next season with those injuries. The Rockets are likely going into next season as of right now, at worst, as one of the two favorites to win the Western Conference, because we don't know if another strong contender forms through free agency. But I say this all the time. This is why you keep a core together. Like, you never know when a window of opportunity opens up like this for you. Let's pretend you're Daryl Morey. What direction do you choose to go with the, with the Rockets? Well, I'll say this. Even before the Thompson and Durant injuries, I thought the Rockets were in a pretty unique place um, in that if you take a, a sort of a, a step back in a, in a, in a, in a, a full-length view of things, even, again, this before the injuries, the Rockets are still amongst the handful of best teams in the league. Two years ago, they were amongst the two best teams in the league. If you take a step back now, they're amongst the handful of best teams in the league. Again, this is prior to free agency and these injuries and so forth. And so I thought that if there were avenues and mechanisms to greatly improve this team you have to explore them and if you can get it done you get it done but at the same time the call to strip it all the way down and rebuild everything let's just i thought that everybody needed to kind of hit the pause on that because the rockets are still going to be really really good and again you never never know and you still have james harden in his prime and you're not going to punt on what is remaining of, of his prime. And so that was before the injuries. Now, after the injuries, I think you have to even take a little bit more of a cautious approach. But I know our front office has always been aggressive. It's always easier said than done getting these, these, these deals done and to improve your team because they're, 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 you know, they're only, I don't know, in my opinion, 10 or 12 true difference makers in the league. You have one of them, and so you want to try to maximize that as much as possible. But since those guys, two guys went down, the West is truly – uh, wide open. The irony is that when you look at the teams in the West, the Rockets are going to be keep competing with. I think five of the top seven teams in the league with available cap space this summer are out West. And so teams like the Clippers and the Lakers and the Mavs and the Jazz have real ways to really improve their team directly through free agency. The Rockets are going to have to try to get um, creative in their approach via the trade to try to improve their roster dramatically to keep up with everybody uh, in the West. But they're kind of walking a little bit of a, a, a fine line here um, going into the offseason. They, they, there's no reason to panic. There's no reason to strip it down to its studs. Um, and, but at the same time, I think you do have to stay aggressive as possible. But the Rockets will be limited. And so I think with that in mind, um, you know, it's going to be interesting to see how things play out this summer from, from Daryl Morey's perspective because I think ultimately, again, 
you're going to have to probably, you mentioned keeping the core together, if you're going to dramatically improve this team, you're probably going to have to pluck some of that core away via the trade to try to upgrade uh, your, your roster, but you have to do it in a judicious way because you don't want to just trade these guys uh, just to simply trade them um, because you still, especially now coming off those injuries, the West is wide open. And if you, you don't want to break it up too much, um, because again, I think if this team does in some form or fashion return intact, especially their core intact, uh, they have a legitimate shot to be as, as good as anybody in the West again at a chance, a chance to come out. I know some people really don't want to hear about that at this particular point because there is such disappointment uh, following what transpired again this, this past offseason. Uh, this past postseason against Golden State, um, but uh, it is good. It will be. It will be a, a very um, unique and interesting uh, summer for the Rockets, and I think an important one because, again, as I mentioned, I think five of the top uh, seven teams in the league with cap space are all out in the West, and so these are teams they're competing competing against. It they have much easier paths to improve their team this summer than the Rockets do. Yeah, and I'm glad you mentioned hitting the pause button and uh, asking folks not to panic because. Over the past couple weeks, I've become increasingly uncomfortable with the conversation around Chris Paul, more specifically how people talk about him. Like, every time his name comes up this offseason, I can't remember one time it hasn't been like this, but it's always how bad his contract is, or his age, or how much he's declining, or there's no way the Rocks could possibly trade him. And it's kind of like we're talking about Chris Paul as if he's a burden and not like a ridiculously good basketball player on both ends of the floor that's really impactful. Um, and I wrote about this week, but if you trade Chris Paul, there's a slim to none chance that you get a package back that increases your title odds for next season versus keeping them. And I don't think people fully understand this. The Rockets are a team that wants to win now. They knew damn well what they were doing when they signed that contract. They knew his age. They knew his injury history. They didn't care because they knew having Chris Paul is a hell of a lot better than not having Chris Paul. You watched him up up close and personal this year. Where do you stand on this? Uh, I agree. I mean, I, look, there's no denying that he's on the downside of his career arc. Sure. Um, as you mentioned, I think everybody knew that going in. I think, again, um, the the contract ultimately, uh, in terms of the uh, easier ways to improve the team, is, is a burden. And again, I think that was, as you mentioned, was sort of understood uh, going in, uh, and is certainly the uh, the, the case now, uh, but Chris Paul is still a very, very good NBA player. And as you mentioned, I, I think that if you, and I think he fits with the way the, the, the Rockets um, want to play. I, I know a lot of people have talked about uh, the, 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 the desire for the team to play faster, but I think since Chris Paul's arrival and the fact that, you know, about a year and a half ago when they slowed their pace, uh, all the way down. A lot of the turnovers that the, a lot of teams were, a lot of people were complaining about have basically dropped off the table, so their possessions are a little bit more valued uh, than they previously have been. By the way, there is no correlation to pace in winning in the NBA. The reason why people want to play faster, and fr- quite frankly, Mike D'Antoni would prefer that the team play faster, is that there's you, you increase possessions in the game, and especially with a team that, that has one of the best point-per-possession totals in the history of the sport. If there are more possessions, it increases the likelihood of you scoring points, which ultimately increases the likelihood uh, of you scoring. But there is no direct correlation to pace, per se, 
and 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 winning. And so sometimes if if, if you trade off turnovers for pace of play, then you can kind of live with some of that. But I I, I just at, at this stage of Paul's career in the contract, I think it is very difficult to find um, even fifty cents on the dollar for, uh, an equal trade value. Uh, I don't think any player's contract, uh, as we've seen in the past. Um, the guy just jumps to mind as Joe Johnson is untradeable. I think everybody is ultimately tradable uh, in the league, but I still think Chris Paul is a very good uh, NBA player that is certainly well-respected uh, around the league, still has a lot to give. Uh, ultimately, you have to monitor his health moving forward, um, but um, uh, but I, I agree. I, I don't think ultimately if you do deal him that you're going to put yourselves in a better position than you are currently with him on the roster to ultimately compete for a championship. Yeah, and you mentioned pace. Uh, it's funny because uh, if you actually watch the game, it seems like Chris Paul likes to run more than Harden. Actually, like in transition opportunities, it seems like Chris Paul is more likely to like pester the ref, like "Come on, give me the ball back. I got to run. I got to run. I got to run." Like more than James Harden would like to. He likes to slow the pace down. Likes to find the open shooter, take his time. And Chris Paul is more apt to run the basketball. So it's 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 kind of it's it's weird to hear people complain about that, but it is a thing. No, they want they want to push the pace because right. again, and, and as you mentioned, they, they they want to increase the amount of possessions. Mike D'Antonio would prefer to play faster because again, you increase the amount of possessions and a chance to score. But you also have to look at the personnel. The Rockets. The Rockets in the first half of the year, if I remember correctly, you can correct me if I'm wrong. When they so two years ago when they acquired Chris Paul, the Rockets were playing significantly faster than they were in the second half of the season. But I think the correlate that another reason why they slowed down dramatically is that PJ Tucker became a full time starter uh, with them, and so sometimes you kind of have to look at your personnel. You have the type of wings who can get out and run and push. And another thing is you want to try to get into the half-court. Even bad half-court NBA defenses are tough to score on. Uh, and so you want to try to get into your stuff quicker before teams ultimately can get set because uh, it becomes uh, much more difficult to, to score in that way. But sometimes you have to play to the strengths of your personnel. And when James Harden, his first handful of years with the Rockets, they're amongst the league leaders uh, in pace. And so I certainly think he's... He's capable of doing that, but I think ultimately you also have to look at the rest of your personnel. Um, does that personnel work to really get up and down the floor? Um, how how much are possessions valued? Because with the Rockets' decrease in pace also came with an astronomical decrease in turnovers, and so possessions became a little bit more valued there. And again, if you still look at the way the Rockets' point for possession went with their decreased pace, they still amongst the, the, the greatest offensive teams um, in NBA history, and so I, I think there's, you know, I, I think there's a little bit of a, uh, a, again a fine line that you have to walk uh, there. You have to kind of understand your personnel. Uh, I think ultimately the Rockets. I think everybody's been saying this, and, and I'll echo the sentiments. They've got to get longer. They've got to get more athletic. They've got to get more versatile on the wing. That's where the game uh, is going. And I think if you do add those pieces to the team, those components to the team this summer, then I think you will see more more opportunities for the team to really push the pace and try to score and transition, at least more so than we've seen in the last year and a half. Right, and I agree. Like, If you look at the roster, this is, this is an older team compared to the other other contenders in the NBA, and older teams tend to slow the pace down. So it, may, it, per, it makes perfectly... I think Mike D'Antoni even understands himself that this team can't run at the level of Golden State. 
Golden State runs off turnovers. Right. Most of their transition opportunities come off turnovers. And so, again, the Rockets' sole focus has been over the last couple of years, how do we compete with Golden State? Well, we're going to switch everything on defense, right? Because we want to try to ISO Kevin Durant as much as possible. The guy scores 50 points against us, and he's taken 25, 22-foot twos. Then we tip our cap, and we live with it, and we move on. That's the whole. That was the whole rationale behind switching. How, how do we... How do we take Golden State out of their their beautiful motion offense? Well, we, we switch everything and we force them into ISOs and we live with the results. What is another area that Golden State excels in? Well, if you turn the ball over against them and you get them playing downhill off turnovers, then you're finished. You're done. You cannot keep up with them. You can't score them. And so you slow things down. You value possessions. You don't turn it over quite as much and you don't give them as many opportunities to run at you and score and transition the other way. And so I think that's another sort of component in it. A lot of people will argue that the Rockets have not been able to compete with Golden State because of their system. I guarantee you the Rockets have tons of data and research to prove, none of which obviously they'll probably share publicly, that they'll prove that it's because of their system that they've been able to play with Golden State at, at a level that most teams in the league have not managed to do so over the last couple of years. No, I agree. And if you mentioned slowing the pace down, I mean, when you, you talk about Golden State-style play, I mean, they like to switch everything on defense, too, and that tends to make the Rockets isolate more often than not. And they get an, they get an entire season to isolate under their belt. They know how to, they know how to isolate against the best of the best, and right. you can score against Golden State more efficiently that way. And... You mentioned Mike D'Antoni preferring to slow the pace down with the, with his older roster, and I'm glad you brought him up. So last week, the Rockets visited D'Antoni's home in West Virginia and approached him with a contract offer that increased his base salary to $5 million. The problem is that it seems like they did this without his agent, Warren Legary present, and Legary wasn't comfortable with this, and his, so his new contract was not reached. Um, all indications as of this moment, and I want to stress as of this moment, point to D'Antoni coaching out next season without an extension. I'm someone who believes, listen, I don't think you're going to find a better person for the job on the open market than Mike D'Antoni. His relationship with the players in that locker room, including James Harden, are invaluable. And I think the Rock, if the Rockets believe this internally, it's much better for both parties to, to get an extension done sooner rather than later. Craig, do you believe the situation will get resolved? And where do you stand on D'Antoni as a coach for this team? I like Mike a lot. I mean, I, I, I like him a ton. Uh, he makes life a lot easier for all of us. Um, he's very accommodating. Uh, he's kind of just a regular Joe, if, if you will. I, I've really enjoyed his tenure here, uh, and, I, and I hope that he continues to stay. As far as the contract negotiations between the two sides, I, look, I have as much knowledge about this as you do in terms of what I read out there, so I have no idea ultimately um, what – what will get done, what won't get done. Um, you know, it's a, it's a business both ways. Um, and so, I look, from my personal perspective, I, I hope he sticks around because I think um, the results um, speak for themselves uh, since he's he's been here. Uh, again, yes, they have not been able to overcome Golden State, but I think that this Golden State team is one of the five best teams in terms of their talent level ever assembled. I think you can make a strong argument that they have the greatest high-end talent that's ever been put on the basketball floor in the league. 
Um, I, I, there are no asterisks in, in, in sports. Um, Golden State took advantage of injuries en route uh, to their three championships. Ultimately, Toronto took advantage of the, the, the Warriors' injuries to win their first championship. Um, and so, to me, um, there are no asterisks. When you win a championship, you earn it because there is a bit of a war of attrition involved there. But I think Mike D'Antoni has um, ha- has done as good of a job with this roster as, as one can expect. I know there's a lot of people who don't necessarily think that the Rockets' current style of play is, is, is very appealing, and that's okay. But I do think that there is a method to the madness. That's why they do what they do. We've kind of touched upon that a little bit here. And, again, I, I hope Mike is, is here uh, long term, I hope two sides ultimately come to an agreement uh, of, of some sort. Um, uh, but in terms of whether I think it's going to get done, uh, do I have any idea if it's going to get done? Uh, I have no idea. I, I just, I just hope it does. Yeah, I agree too. I, I think Mike's the guy. I think um, if if you look out at the open market and head coach, it's just really hard to evaluate whether a younger coach is going to be is going to work or not. You just never know. Um, and again, I think that the relationships, particularly with James Harden, like I've never seen James Harden bond with a coach more than Dan Tony. Uh, he defends him openly in the media, uh, in private, everywhere. Like he is a fan of Mike Dan Tony, and I think that stuff's really important. And I, I think yep. you mentioned uh, the Rockets don't care if it's ugly or not. They, they care if it works. They don't care what you think of the style of play. They don't care if people find, you know, the slowing down the pace, the ref, the ref baiting, all that stuff. They don't care if people find that unappealing. They, they just care points per possession. Is this, is this winning us basketball games more than the general comp- competition? And it has been, it's been, it's won them a ton of basketball games. It's won them. Uh, it's got them to the con- the conference finals and nearly the NBA finals a year ago. So I don't think the Rockets particularly care how, how the public perceives it. Um, Going into the offseason, let's get into the fun stuff. What specifically, outside of the coaching staff, do you believe that the Rockets need to address? Well, I, I just I just mentioned, I think, in part, they have to get longer and more athletic on the wings. Um, the teams that the Rockets really struggle against are those teams that are pretty long and athletic uh, on, on the wings. I mean, you know, we're obviously going back, and this is, you know, revisionist history here, but let's just, for argument's sake, say, say the Rockets... Um, did beat the Warriors and ultimately did advance to the NBA Finals. And I think if they had if they had met say Milwaukee, uh, I think that would be an opponent in a matchup that they would struggle with because of their their length and athleticism. I think a team if they had made, faced Philadelphia, for instance, that the, their length and size and athleticism would have been problematic uh, to to the Rockets. And so I think moving forward, and again, easier said than done because Rockets are capped out. And they don't have a ton of, of, of tools to work with here to uh, improve the team. And there are, again, as I've already illustrated, there are a lot of teams out there with a lot of cap space this summer. And most of them are teams that they're directly competing with for the top honors uh, in the West. Um, they've, got, they've got to get more athletic on, on, on the wing. They've got to get younger, um, you know, you know, you look at you like again. You look at the Raptors. You got Siakam. I know OG Ananobi had some didn't you know had some uh, what injury surgery issues and so forth. But um, players players like that they need long, lengthy, versatile, switchable, um, multi-dimensional guys. And every team in the league wants them. So again, um, easier said than done. But those those are the kinds of players 
that the Rockets need, I think, to ultimately take um, the next step. Yeah, I agree with you. And you look at the difference between this offseason and last offseason. It felt like last offseason was, like, the priority was don't regress. Like, don't get worse. And you look at this offseason, there are, like, a tremendous, there's, like, a tremendous opportunity to get better. You look, there's actually needs that you can address. I mean, you look at their rebounding, for instance. I mean, they were not a good defensive rebounding team at all this season. And that's... Their need, greatest weakness. Yeah, that's a need that they can address. You look at uh, their versatility on the wing; they can they can address that too. They you you look at a ton of things that they that they couldn't address last year just because it's like how can you get better from a sixty five win team that just reached the Western Conference Finals? Well, th- you can get better now. You can get better now. You, there are a ton of opportunities to get better because this team ha- has clear weaknesses that they can't address, and they have more to work with. They have their taxpayer mid-level exception. They have. Um, it looks like uh, owner Tillman Fertitta has given Daryl Morey the, the green light to pay the luxury tax this season, so they'll, they'll be able to spend more this season. And via trade, they have all their guys locked in for uh, at least the next season, so they don't have to worry about retaining guys. They can just worry about you know, perhaps making a trade here or there and only trying to improve the roster. So I think the opportunity to improve the roster is actually better than where it was last season just because there was no room to improve last year. Like last year, they reached pretty much the pinnacle of basketball. You can't get much better than that. And I think if you look at going into this offseason, I really feel like they have a, re- a strong opportunity to address not only some needs, but, you know, perhaps take a few more swings that they couldn't have last offseason. Uh, I mean, uh, I, I can't obviously get into specific players uh, who, are, who are going to be free agents. They're still not technically there, but um, sure. they, they're not technically unrestricted free agents yet. But um, they have the taxpayer mid-level. But I think if they're going to have, if they're going to improve dramatically, they're going to have to trade mm-hmm. um, players like Clint Capella and or Eric Gordon. Um, I, I don't think ultimately with the taxpayer mid-level and so forth <clears throat> that they're going to be able to they're looking to upgrade significantly. I don't think they're going to be able to upgrade significantly with that kind of money because a lot of teams have a lot more money uh, right. to spend. And I think, I think, like, I think there is a good free agent class. But then, you, you know, you, you now have the, the question marks with Thompson and Durant. It, it's very, very good at the very top levels. But I think again, there are a lot, a lot of teams, a lot of money to spend. I think ultimately, there are going to be a lot of players who do get overpaid this summer. Not quite like it was in what twenty. 2016, where the cap spiked, um, and 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 uh, and and you know the, the level of spending in the league was just crazy. But there are going to be a lot of players who are going to get overpaid this summer um, because a lot of teams have a lot of money to spend, and these are who the Rockets are going to be competing with. And that and that mid level ultimately is not going to be enough there. That's that's the kind of money they're going to need to sort of work around and fill out the depth of the team. But the way they're going to improve dramatically is is, is via the trade. And so I think they are going to ultimately have to pluck some of the guys out this core, uh, if that's the avenue they're going to go. Um, and they don't have any draft picks available either. Um, so I think that they, they again, I don't, do they have some more mechanisms this summer than they had last summer perhaps, but I still think relative to the rest of the league, uh, they're still, they're still very limited. Um, but again, this is, uh, I, I, they're going to get creative. Uh, we have seen them get creative. Does it get done or not? Um, I, I don't know. Um, but, try and and we'll just kind of kind of see what happens um but ultimately i think they're gonna the, the biggest need for them is they've got to get longer they've got to get more athletic who those guys ultimately will be um i do not know obviously if you 
trade a guy like Clint, you're, you know, and, and I know a lot of people were down on Clint's performance in, the, in that second round against Golden State, and he struggled mightily, more so than I think he did even the year before in the Western Conference Finals when he was very inconsistent against Golden State. But Clint is still a very, very good player. And so if, if he's a guy who, and he's on a value contract, if he's a guy that you're going to move, you got to make sure that you get pretty darn good value in, in, in return for him. Um, Draymond Green has his number. Um, there's no other way around it. Um, yeah. I thought he would have more of an impact against Golden State than he has each of the last two postseasons. But Draymond Green has completely removed him from the Rockets' equation. And I think in part that's while the Rockets, at least the last couple of years, have not been able to get over the hump uh, against the Warriors. Uh, but if you're going to move a guy like that, then you had better get strong value because Clint's a perfect fit for this team. He's got incredible chemistry uh, with James Harden, and he does happen to excel against virtually everybody outside of Draymond Green and Golden State. Yeah, like, Clint gets 70% of his points off of law passes, and Draymond Green just completely took that law pass away. Like, he just completely took him out of the series. It was incredible to watch him play that that level of defense. But, listen, man, this is going to be fun. This is going to be... Daryl Morey, like, no offseason. I've said this for years now, but I really believe it. No offseason with the Rockets has ever been boring under Daryl Morey. Like, good or bad, it's, it's always fun. <laughs> it's always interesting. Uh, it is. Uh, sometimes, you know, I joke about this. This is just a straight joke here, but sometimes I think, you know, uh, the more complicated the trade to try to pull off, uh, the more uh, enjoyment he gets out of it. If it's just a regular kind of trade, then I think he gets bored. Uh, with yeah, he likes like the that. challenge. The, again, the, uh, yeah, the, the, the more complicated the deal, the better. But, I, again, uh, they'll try to get creative. Will they get something major done? Um I don't know, but I go back to my original point of even before the Duran and Thompson injuries and the now wide open West with those two guys and their respective situations and the Warriors moving forward, I, I still think that you have to take a step back, realize that this is still one of the five best teams in the league. Um, they still have a legit shot uh, uh, to, to for another deep playoff run, uh, if you kept the core together and just tried to improve the, the, the depth um, of this team moving forward, uh, probably even more so now again with those injuries. And so I think that with that, if they aren't able to make significant changes uh, this summer, it's not necessarily the end of the world because I still think they're going to be really, really good uh, moving forward. And if you can, if you can improve the depth of the team, you can somehow find a way to add a couple of lengthy, long, athletic guys on the wing to allow this team to play a little bit differently um, than I still think they're going to be amongst the five best teams in the league next year. And who knows? I mean, teams like uh, yeah, the teams, teams like the Lakers and the Jazz and the Mavs all might improve dramatically. They might not. Teams like the Bucks have a ton of of key free agents, they might ultimately take a step back. Are they willing to make that? And that team's about to get super expensive. Um, what is Philadelphia going to do with with, with their free agents? Um, will they will they will they ultimately uh, spend huge uh, to bring that team back? Will those guys come back? Um, a lot of things are going to play out this summer. A lot of pieces will be moving around the, the chessboard this summer. And as you said, I think it's it's going to be a really fascinating. Um, off season uh, to see not only what the Rockets do, but all the teams that 
or in the upper echelon the league are going to do to try to, to, to take advantage, um, for the lack of a better phrase, of, of what might be some, you know, uh, some problems with Golden State, um, with, with Duran and Thompson down. Um, and so um, I'm, I'm fascinated to see, to see what happens. Um, but I still think, again, the Rockets, even if they don't make a huge splash splash this summer, I still think they're going to be really, really good. But I do think what's more important this year than it was a year ago is they, I think they need to be better on day one. Uh, because two years ago, they knew the value of having home court advantage throughout. They had, again, they had that game seven on their floor in the Western Conference Finals. Didn't take advantage of it because the fluky over 27, but they had that game seven on their home floor. I think they fully realize how important it is to have the best team they can have on day one as opposed to coming out of the trade deadline. I think this whatever group that they're going to assemble, they need to try to assemble the best group they possibly can on day one so they have that mentality and mindset going into the season so they don't have to try to overcome an 11-14 and 14 start again. Well said. Craig, where can we follow you on Twitter? Uh, at uh, CA underscore Rocket. Thank you so much for coming on, Craig. Anytime, man. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. For sure. So that was the great Craig Ackerman of AT&T Sportsnet. I really do mean it when I say he's one of the best commentators on League Pass. He makes the Rockets broadcast so much better, so much more insightful, and so much better for fans of this team to follow along. Make sure to follow him on Twitter and give this podcast a five-star rating on iTunes. Subscribe to us on iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher. Uh, We're also on Spotify now if you you want to listen to us there. And yeah, guys, good night.